Hello, I'm Emma Louise Coffey and you're welcome to the Dairy Edge, the Chagas Dairy Podcast. We're bringing you the latest information, insights and opinion to improve dairy farm performance. We look back at the year of 2019 for dairy farmers. At the beginning of December, I was joined at the National Dairy Conference by Chagas Director Jerry Boyle, Specialist Abigail Ryan and Head of Animal and Grassland Research Pat Dillon. We discuss the key issues affecting the industry in 2019 while looking ahead to the year of 2020. And I first asked Pat about the visible recovery on farms after a challenging 2018. Average grass production, I think, last year was about 11 tonnes. I think there's about 13 tonnes grown uh, so far this year. So we're well up, back up to normal in terms of grass production. And if we look at it in terms of milk production, um, we're up around somewhere around 6 or 7%. And uh, we have produced milk of the highest fat and protein on record uh, this year. So we're back to normal. If you look at it in terms of the anim- annual review and outlook uh, conference uh, last week, uh, it indicated the costs are back about three cents a litre. And uh, we've seen a significant reduction in concentrate fed per cow, which is really good. We're back to producing milk off pasture. And I guess if, if we look at the pinch point of the year um, in, in the perspective of, of labour, um, you know, there was, a, there was a huge pressure on farms in 2018. You know, there was the snow events and, and, and storms, etc. Abigail, talk through the labour challenge in the spring. You know, um, you've, you're tasking farmers with a challenge of, of reducing, I suppose, the labour input and increasing their efficiency. What, what have you seen from your farmers in this area? Yeah, so I suppose this year we did a 60-hour challenge with one of the um, groups and what they all mentioned was this year was a lot different last spring 2019 compared to 18. Uh, that said, because they were forced to measure, it made them realise that you know, maybe we're wasting hours during the day. So efficiency was a big thing. And, and, and what, what areas in particular were time heavy from, from your work? Uh, what stood out was at the very start, machinery breaking down, time taken at the mechanics, small things like that, which actually could be done maybe in August, September, the year before maintenance. Um, things like gates, wires, all of that breaking down in the springtime should really be planned for uh, a few months before that. Um, the 90% uh, six-week calving rate, while it's really, really profitable, they know that's going to happen. So things like facilities should be in place beforehand. Yeah, and as you say, something that can be done in the in the previous summer. And indeed, you know, farms are getting quieter in the December, January period. So there's a lot of scope there in, in terms of um, getting jobs done. I suppose the machinery piece then, you know, it's, it's a time of year where we can use the contractor more maybe Correct, yeah. where available. Um I suppose the biggest challenge um, that, that I suppose is, is coming up on farms at the moment and, and, and agriculture in general is is the idea of um, climate change. Jerry, you were involved in, in I suppose, this, this project in terms of the greenhouse gas abatement curve and looking at, you know, the steps and the measures that um, will reduce our footprint you know what are the key measures that you see as no-brainers for the dairy industry um, that farmers need to incorporate and can incorporate at a low cost well first of all uh, Emma Louise um, I just want to say that the the most significant event of the year undoubtedly was the publication of the climate action plan by the government there in June or whenever it was um, because and it set out uh, the measures that agriculture has to take to achieve a 10 to 15 percent cut by 2030 relative to 2005 and those measures are largely if not substantially based as you rightly intimated 
on the Chagask so-called marginal abatement cost curve, or MAC for short. Um, and there's, unfortunately, there's no silver bullet, so it, it'll take a, a series of measures. We identified actually 28 separate measures. But as far as mitigation was concerned, there's a couple of standout ones, For uh, take it simply. I would uh, emphasize the importance of farmers switching from can to protected urea, which is every bit as good in terms of growing grass and so forth as can, but has the double advantage of reducing emissions of greenhouse gases and of ammonia, which is a separate gas but very important from an air quality point of view. The other measure, of course, and there was discussion about this today at the conference, the dairy, National Dairy Conference, was about the importance of using clover. We've been saying that for years, but now it's imperative from a climate point of view that we replace uh, chemical nitrogen. The other one I would say was the so-called, uh, what we call the less technology, in other words, using uh, low emission surrey spreading systems like trailing shoe and so on. Now, if we could get those three measures implemented on the vast majority of farms, um, uh, it would make a significant inroads into our targets. So the challenge now really is to translate what's clearly will work on the spreadsheet to making it work on the farm. And, and I guess that, you know, that is the challenge and, you know, that's based on, on calculations and research. But, you know, Pat, from a research perspective, you know, a lot of these technologies, and I'd say the, uh, all of the technologies that are involved in in the um, the the Mac is, um, you know, has been trialled at a research level. You know, what have you seen is, is readily available to roll out to farmers today? Well, it's going back on what the directors, after mentioning, mean that the, the three technologies, Clover, uh, we have evaluated Clover now for um, what's it's about six, seven years study going in, in Moorpark, and the study's going in Clannacilty, and they are all consistent in what they're showing is that with um, you can reduce, um, uh, go from 100, 250 kilos of nitrogen down to 150 kilos of nitrogen, as long as you have clover in the pastures, uh, somewhere around 20%, and you'll get the same grass production and you'll get higher animal performance. So, I mean, that is really uh, a technology that has to be driven out at industry level. I accept it totally that at farm level, uh, there is, in the vast majority of dairy farms, there isn't any great clover on their pastures. But I'm convinced that if you come back in a number of years' time, it's one of the technologies that we really have to drive home uh, now. And of course, the protected urea. I mean, again, as as the director said, uh, I mean, on a cost basis, of, uh, on a cost basis, it, it is not extra cost, and it, it does the t the twin effect of reduced greenhouse gases and ammonia. And the third one then is the slurry spreading, and the slurry spreading again. And I think farmers will take it on because I mean, there's lots of advantage of the slurry spreading, in terms of increased nitrogen efficiency, and um, and and. and Increase nitrogen efficiency and reduce costs. So, I mean, for the dairy farmer, increase in nitrogen efficiency is key, and all those three things will improve nitrogen efficiency at farm level, and they've all been backed up by research. I was just to say there, uh, nitrogen from a national point of view, in terms of people looking at what's going on in agriculture outside of the ag sector, it's nitrogen they focus on. It, uh, we've been growing nitrogen at around 10% a year over the last three years. We've got to turn that curve. And as Pat says, we have the solutions. I mean, clover is a key one. Protected urea is the other. But that's if we don't get that sorted quickly, I think there was one key figure to come out of the National Dairy Conference uh, 
I thought was for me anyway, that uh, a switch of 50% from can, reduction of can by 50%, switch to protected urea is equivalent to emissions from 100,000 cows. That's the trade-off. I think we would all agree the 100,000 cows is more important to the industry, you know, than the type of fertilizer that's used. Yeah, I suppose I would say from 2020, peat farmers on the ground should be using urea or protected urea, like Pat and Jerry has said, and equally um, clover. Clover can be, uh, if you select three or four paddocks every year from now on and get the application on the fertilizer spreader and apply it that way to three or four paddocks and monitor it. Uh, equally, if the pH isn't right, so that has to be tackled first. You have to get lime out so that the pH is right, so that the clover will survive. So that's what I would say for 2020 and I think you know it, it's a really good point and we've had some very good episodes this year um, particularly one with Deirdre Hennessy and and, and uh, Reid McLaren and, and Brian McCarthy as a follow-on from the Clonakilty study but they would have highlighted the nitrogen fixation with clover swords and what you spoke about Pat reducing the nitrogen input by 100 kilos so firstly you're growing as much grass but secondly like the costs of production are declining where you're not paying for that extra 100 kilos per hectare so yeah. it all adds up and, and, and plus Emma like you know the, the figures that I think Brian McCarthy produced there of between 35 kilograms of milk solids per cow and and 50 in, in the Clannacilty trials I mean that's that's what we call the win-win it's real money in farmers' pockets. Yeah, and then not not to, to dwell on this particular topic, but with the low emission slurry spreading, you know, William Birchall would say that there is um, money there available to farmers in the form of grants where they're retrofitting their existing slurry tanks or indeed if they're if they're purchasing those particular um, slurry spreaders in the future. So, you know, it, it, I mean, the, the costs are lessened to farmers and then the, the financial benefit it, it will they will gain two and threefold. Um just on in in terms of you know putting a plan in place and, and we, we we've covered a lot in terms of the nutrient management, but from a cow perspective, higher EBI animals have a lower footprint. Would that be right, Pat? Yeah, I mean, we have shown that um, taking the average from uh, 20 to 2000 to 2003 versus the last three years, there's an average reduction in, in, in emissions of about uh, 15%. Uh, so higher EBA cows are giving us a lower carbon footprint in terms of, of, of uh, carbon equivalent per kilo mixed solids, no doubt about that. And the, the real nice thing about it is, I mean, if we look at this year in terms of its impact on EBI, it's as good as any year. As I said, protein levels uh, nationally were never as high, fat levels were never as high, and milk production will be up. So the impact, and I think carbon pattern that Abigail is as good as there's any year. So the impact of the EBI is still there, and, it's, it, and it can be captured again in terms of increased efficiency going over the next 10 years. So it's really important that farmers continue to focus on EBI, and it has delivered, and it will deliver a lot going into the future. I, I think you know um, what you sp what you've spoken about in terms of the the level of performance and particularly looking at traits such as fat and protein and and fertility brings us on nicely to um, our next topic. You know, twenty nineteen has marked twenty years of the EBI. I suppose, firstly, Abigail, you know, if we look at any technology that we introduce to farmers, you know, whether it's grass measuring, you know, n new um, nutrient management technologies, and, and indeed breeding, there's a huge variation in the uptake. 
you know, why would you say EBI has worked so well as a tool for, for dairy farmers? Well, I suppose one of our KPIs is profit um, per hectare, and that has been increasing, and it's directly linked to the six-week calving rate. So we know that the six-week calving rate is improved by using the sub-index of the EBI, which is fertility, which is improving. That said, I would say a lot of farmers aren't putting enough emphasis on their EBI reports or understanding them, so I would suggest you know, they should designate a meeting or a day to sit down and go through their EBI report and understand the figures. Because you know, we talk about emissions, etc. There's actually, in, in a lot of herds, there is probably 10%, 5 or 6%, sorry, I should say 5 or 6% of the herd are lower producing, maybe poorer fertility, and we're breeding for them. Why would you when some of the better cows can produce as much and have the same fertility? And I would suggest to go and study your EBI report. And to follow on from Abigail, I mean, I mean to me, EBI only facilitates you to capitalise on grass and grazing. I mean, if grazing management and grass measurement does go on, does, doesn't go hand in hand of the increased UBI, you won't see the effect of, of the benefit of UBI. So the two of them are interlinked. I mean, we can't say that just EBI in its own will result in, profit, in higher profitability. It's, it's higher EBI with better grazing management. That is the key. And can I just maybe add, uh, from a wider Chagas perspective, uh, I always use this example uh, as the, the best indication of delivering value for money from research. And Donna Berry, who was hugely involved in this program over the years, you know, would estimate that for every euro we spent in Chagas and ICBF on the EBI, we've returned a benefit of 18 euros. Now, I mean, including DNA selection and so on. Uh, it's t and the other point I think that's very important, and the reason why we have the, uh, the next generation herd in place, we made mistakes 20 years ago. And it's taken 20 years to resolve them. We're I don't think we're still fully back to where we'd like to be in terms of fertility, but we, we're, we're, we're just there, Pat, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that does show when you can get things wrong, the cost is enormous. And so the next generation herd is there to help us, among other things, to ensure that we don't find ourselves in a situation with breeding uh, strategy that goes awry, you know? And, and to reflect on that and, and, and I suppose to, to put concrete figures on it, you know, like if we look, Pat, at the cow of today and compare it with the cow at the turn of the century, like what sort of difference are we seeing? Yeah, I mean, as the director says, we're probably up to in terms of fertility, but we have lots of other advantages got in terms of mixed solids. I mean, it's significant. I mean... Nationally, we'll be somewhere over 350 protein, um, three or four, nearly 20 fat this year. Nationally, average, average now. And if you go back to when the EBI, or go back to when the quotas come in, we were back at 360 fat, um, 325 protein. So that's been a massive improvement. I mean, the mixed solids, uh, alongside the improved uh, fertility and longevity of the herd, I mean, we really have, we're really on the way to having a super herd nationally. And I think if we reflect also on the fertility side of things, we see that the six-week calving rate is creeping up every year. Like, I think it's an increase of 1% every year. And, and, and by the same token, our, our calving interval, so the, I suppose the distance between each lactation is declining all the time as well. Yeah, it's increasing on an annual basis, yeah. And the, uh, sorry, there, there is another, Pat, 
uh, there is one aspect, though, that is different, which generates other challenges. I don't say problems, they're challenges, and we'll overcome them. It is a very different cow now to what it was, say, back in when we had the last cattle crisis that I can remember anyway, it was in 74. There was a very different calf, type of calf being produced, and that's an issue out there among farmers, and uh, I think uh, I, I see that as a challenge. We can respond and deal with it, and uh, that's already, you know, I think that's the way I would like to see is looking at that issue, you know. You know, you mentioned, Jerry. we're here at the National Dairy Conference today and you've set out a challenge in terms of the breeding plan for 2020 where farmers will use the dairy beef index going forward. You know, once they've their replacements bred, they are looking at adding value to the beef side of the calves. Yeah, and I mean, Pat and his colleagues produced that breeding statement for next year. We did it last year as well. Probably, uh, we probably produced it, I think, we'd agree, a little bit late in the day last year. So at least we wanted to get out early this year. Um, but uh, I, I suppose the biggest change visibly last year uh, is in relation to our, our advice about sex semen. I think we're, we're about to engage, Pat, in that right, on our fourth trial. That's right. The Next last one was very encouraging. Uh, I mean, like, I think it's, it's actually quite extraordinary uh, that a third of the, of the herds actually had better performance with the sex semen than they had with the conventional semen, which is interesting now. There was a problem in the other in the balance, but we're we we I think we're getting there, Pat. And it's yeah, and I mean, Steve Butter would would reckon it's it's all about how we handle the semen. It's a different product to conventional semen, and how we handle and how we thaw it and how we inseminate sex semen is different than than conventional semen. And he thinks it's 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 around that that the new study this year will be about is around best practices in using sex semen on commercial dairy farms. And the other thing I would like to say is, and I think we're talking about EBI and so on, and um, for me anyway, the, uh, sort of my views were clarified over the last while in relation to the focus on EBI from a dairy perspective that has been critically important, and we should never lose that. I mean, if we have an issue to deal with on, on the beef side, we accept that. But that should be dealt with from in terms of the um, of the quality, the breeding quality of, of our beef animals, of our bulls, or beef bulls, and in managing that side of it. But even and in the dairy you know, beef index, again, is a, is a, is a, is, a, is a way forward. But, um, it, you know, we, we have something that's really worked and keep it working. Yeah, but even saying that, I mean, we're, we're evaluating the black and whites from the high EBI sires in Grange this year. Uh, they've just started slaughtering those animals. I think the results are going to be very positive, believe it or not, the black and whites. I mean, fair enough, we're going to see some drop in carcass weight, but they're going to be fu- finished at a very younger age. And I reckon when we do the economics of it, they'll be very profitable. There's going to be about half in slaughter before Christmas, the other remainder slaughtered straight after Christmas. And to me, to, uh, uh, looking at it, when, you do, when we do the full costs on it, uh, I think that they're, they'll perform financially very well. And the, the one thing we're seeing with these black and white uh, steers versus previous trials is that steers from high EBI uh, sires and, and dams have much, graze, much better grazing ability. And these animals are really adept to grazing, like their mothers, like their generations. So we have something to capitalise there on in the, even on the black and white 
black and white side. Yeah, I was just going to come in on that and for, you know, discussion groups or individual farmers for next year is to get familiar with your EBI report and select out the cows that are the best genetics with the best EBIs and match them up then with the top 10% of bulls available on the list, whether that be sex semen, like our director or Pat has said um, previously, or I'll select from the active bull list the best bulls. And I think that ICBF have made it so user friendly you know on the herd plus we have our female selector now so you have each cow and you can decide you want her to be select uh, selected for say a selective mating you want to crossbreed from her you want to cull her or you want to beef mate her so it's it's a very straightforward and then it's it's on front of you printed you know when you go to to actually inseminate cows so it's it's effectively foolproof there's no real um, excuse not to get it right Um, at this stage that's all for this week's episode of the dairy year in review join me next week to hear more from the panel as we continue our review of the dairy farming year don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the podcast you can listen on apple and google podcasts as well as spotify and for more information go to the chagas website at chagas.ie i'm emma louise coffee and join me next time for your dairy edge